Chapter 5, Part 3 of The Greater Life and Work of Christ. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Pretorius. The Greater Life and Work of Christ by Alexander Patterson. Chapter 5, Part 3. The apostles not only preached a glorified Christ in heaven, but Christ present in each of his people they express this truth in the phrase christ in you the former relationship of being in christ we have considered it relates to our standing where we are as seen by god a position secured by the death of christ but the second phrase christ in you expresses something far different it is a matter of fact so declared of every christian know ye not that as to your own selves that jesus christ is in you unless indeed ye be reprobates unless the person is a reprobate christ is in him this may not be a matter of consciousness but it follows from the fact of his being in christ of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace it is not a part of christ in each as in the old testament believers but all of christ in every believer this is a great mystery as paul declares the natural figure is followed in the scriptures it is spoken as being born of god born of the spirit all in the sense of conception paul follows this by intimating a still further resemblance to the natural figure my little children of whom i am again in travail until christ be formed in you there is the infancy of the new creature and growth and finally the full-grown man the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ the whole is spoken of as another and a second life which the believer lives a person within a person a life within a life growing up into all of his being day by day and absorbing and controlling all his faculties and finally as a butterfly from the chrysalis emerging into the life of eternity all this is not without resistance especially from within not only satan but the flesh is the antagonist of the new life for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for these are contrary the one to the other that ye may not do the things that ye would here christ in you is called the spirit and this is the usual name in scripture for it the struggle especially in the early stages is very great and painful it is described by paul in the seventh of romans where he admits his identity with both natures and speak of as i if these two natures are kept in mind the passage will be understood the secret of victory is given us in this scripture reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin but also alive unto god in jesus christ let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that we should obey the lusts thereof neither present your members unto sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves unto god as alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto god for sin shall not have dominion over you for ye are not under law but under grace the effect of the presence of christ in the believer is to reproduce christ himself so far as he is given full control 
all the graces of christ are in embryo in each believer and only need to be developed the full state is that expressed by paul i have been crucified with christ yet i live and yet no longer i but christ liveth in me this is the ideal state of the christian the whole work of god in the believer may be summed up in three terms misused in the natural view heredity environment and development in their spiritual application he is born of god that is the believer heredity all things are passed away all things are become new that is his environment he grows up into christ that is his development the work of christ in this stage relates also to israel the church and the world collectively israel had a great place in the spread of the gospel in the apostles days not only the jews but also the other tribes were found everywhere they were the seed-bed in which the first plantings of the gospel took root they were the first visited in every place by the apostles and to them was first offered the gospel they accepted it by thousands those thus converted to the gospel furnished as they were like paul with the teachings of scripture were the fittest to do the work of the missionary of the cross the israelite was the merchant of the middle ages he was the common carrier of the world the merchant and the missionary were often one as in the case of lydia a seller of purple and aquala and priscilla makers of tents christ foretold their fate nationally by which they were still further dispersed there shall be great distress upon the land and wrath unto the people and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led captive into all the nations and jerusalem shall be trodden down of the gentiles until the times of the gentiles be fulfilled their spiritual state during the succeeding centuries is declared by paul for i would not brethren have you ignorant of this mystery lest ye be wise in your own conceits and hardening in parts hath befallen israel until the fulness of the gentiles be come in and so all israel shall be saved both these prophecies have been fulfilled the change evidently took place after the breaking up of their worship and nationally they are to remain so until near the end their restoration is to be as paul tells us the precursor of a mighty blessing to earth they are witnesses of the truth and of all only living the true god the scriptures and christ and his gospel next to jesus as the greatest proof of christianity is israel the work of christ in the present age also relates to the church as a body the establishment of the church as a family under abram and as a nation under moses has been seen the formation of the church as a great universal spiritual body is the work of christ in the present age the word church means called out and also called together as a secondary meaning it is therefore a body called out of the mass and kept separated its peculiar relations to christ will be seen by the terms applied to it it is called the body of christ the bride of christ the temple of the holy ghost the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of god these are in a sense synonymous but not coterminous 
they express enlarging spheres as given in the order named in the term body of christ there is the closest possible identity expressed it is identity of origin nature mission experiences and destiny the term the bride expresses the same identity but differently in the former the natural relations are subjective in the latter objective there is also another difference in the use of these two terms the former expresses the earthly relationship of the church to christ the feet walk the earth although the head is in heaven there is also the idea of service connected with the figure of the body this is seen in paul's well-known chapter on spiritual gifts now ye are the body of christ and severally members thereof the other term the bride expresses mutual fellowship lange writes thus upon this word the bride of the lord is in accordance with a standing biblical view based upon deep and essential spiritual relations the contrast of spiritual receptivity and spiritual creative power is the christian church this figure has also a future meaning it looks to the marriage and the fellowship which follows the temple of the holy ghost expresses the place of the church with reference to the whole body of the saved and the relation of the whole to god the holy spirit built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom each several building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the lord in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of god in the spirit the entire body of god's people is here compared to a temple in which the several buildings represent the various companies of the saved the place of the church is the most holy place a habitation of god all these figures express the very highest place not only above all earth but above all beings of any world or age christ has but one body but one bride but one holy of holies the secret relationship of christ to his church in this age is illustrated by this scripture i saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the candlesticks one like unto a son of man he had in his right hand seven stars the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks are seven churches this is a representation of the attitude of the office of christ towards his church during the present age by the ministries of the church and the supply of the holy spirit he keeps the flame of the church's graces glowing a notable feature of the epistles is the fewness of exhortations to believers to engage in what is themed now christian work there are exhortations to give to help the needy especially in the church there are general directions as to serving the lord patient continuance in well-doing abounding in the work of the lord not to be weary in well-doing the epistles to those set aside to the work of timothy and titus have also such directions but for the church at large those quoted are about the kind given the great urgings of all the epistles is to knowledge of christ and holiness of life the epistles were most anxious to have their people holy they were more zealous and secure true believers than a multitude of them 
they cared more for quality than numbers a pure living church was more to them than a large one there is a lesson for us to-day in this great fact purity of doctrine the energy and life and power of the holy spirit are the greatest sources of christian activity where these are there is no lack of workers and where these are not urgings may induce some to work but their work will be lifeless and fruitless we need to return to the apostolic plan and endeavour to bring about a return of purity of faith and life in the church from these will flow a stream of missionary and other activities which will bless the world the greatest reason however for this singular omission is that the people of god are first in the heart of christ and the apostles the bible is as has been remarked all or nearly all about god's people or to them in looking back to the beginning we see they were the great objects of divine contemplation god's people themselves rather than what he does by them or gains from them are upon the heart of christ not ours but us is his desire the term kingdom is applied to the work of christ designates its sphere time conditions and principles preparation for its people and its ruling powers it has the same threefold application we have observed in the gospels and epistles as to the work of christ there is a kingdom for israel the church and mankind generally it has also a past present and future aspect all which shows it is a subject which requires careful study the kingdom is spoken of as offered to israel by christ as their messiah the son of david in which he was the king of the jews and the king of israel and for claiming which he was put to death this is the subject of all the old testament prophecies and to the israel ever looked forward it is spoken of in the scripture many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with abram and isaac and jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the sons of the kingdom shall be cast forth into the outer darkness this kingdom we have seen israel lost by rejection or rather they lost the immediate privilege of it for it has a prophetic aspect to be considered later the second aspect of the kingdom is that which is to come as in this passage spoken in connection with the end of the world or age then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father it is always the future kingdom which is meant when it is spoken as of the father or in connection with the father as in the lord's prayer our father which art in heaven thy kingdom come the word kingdom without any possessive is also applied to the future aspect of the kingdom the terms kingdom of heaven and kingdom of god are in a general sense synonymous yet there is a difference the former is applied to the earthly and visible aspect the latter to the spiritual and eternal aspects of the kingdom both are applied to the church as representing the phase of the kingdom now existing the church is part of the kingdom it is the governing or inspiring power as distinguished from the subjects of the kingdom it means a sovereignty to gain the kingdom is to gain a place of honour in it the word kingdom is applied to those who acquire a place in it the principles which govern it the right or privilege of entering it and its coming and course 
although the kingdom is far greater and future still as the church is composed of those who shall possess the kingdom the same principles apply to both in a measure the condition and history of the church as a phase of the kingdom is declared by christ in the seven parables of the kingdom the sower the tares the mustard plant the leaven the hid treasures the pull the net these seven parables represent the kingdom in its embryonic and formative state they must be considered together and as covering the same period some of these are explained by christ as the sower and the tares and the net these give us the outline of the whole of which the remaining furnish further details we see from the three mentioned that this time is to be in its inception progress and close a mixed state of affairs the seed sown is to be received only by part of the field and to be mingled with tears even where it is received and these are to continue to the close when the four diverse results of the sowing are found the tares and wheat are growing together and the net contains good fish and bad it is a well-known principle of interpretation that obscure scriptures are to be explained by those clearly understood with this in mind and parables of the mustard plant leaven hid treasures and pearl must agree with the sower and tares and net the mustard plant is not a natural symbol of anything perfect whether it was the tree or the plant of that name neither are conspicuous for size or beauty or longevity that which characterizes it is a small beginning rapid growth and as compared with garden plants large size the fowls are never used in scripture as symbols of good but the reverse here is the rapid extension of the visible church and the sheltering of forms of evil by it or rather such forms of evil coming into it and this agrees with history the symbol used in the parable of the leaven is one of the most fully explained of any in scripture in the mosaic law it was commanded not to be offered in sacrifice and at the passover was to be put entirely away the one instance where it is used the wave loaves is a type of the conditions of this very age where we are discussing as we noted it is incredible that jesus who came to fulfil the law would so disregard its teachings on such a point as to take this divinely commanded symbol of evil and make it a type of good it is also incredible that knowing the meaning the israelite attached to this symbol he should without a word of explanation use it meaning thereby the opposite of what they understood and had a right to understand from the command of god the meaning of jesus attached to leaven we have from his own words as follows beware of the leaven of the pharisees and sadducees then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread but of the teaching of the pharisees and sadducees paul also used this symbol know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump purge out the old leaven and ye may be a new lump even as ye are unleavened for our passover also hath been sacrificed even christ 
wherefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth after this explicit teaching of christ and his apostles and the scripture use as seen in the mosaic law sound principles of exegesis demand that we use it the same way and interpret the leaven as meaning evil and only evil the remaining three parables were spoken to the disciples apart the other being to the multitudes as well as the disciples the hid treasure is the church which christ finds in the field which he has before explained is the world in spite of the failure of the sowing to be received by all and the presence of tears among the grain and the defective growth of the visible church and sheltering of evil and the gradual leavening by evil doctrine and practices there remains the church which christ had in mind from the beginning and for which he planned the redemption of the world and came and died the parable of the pearl refers to the character which belongs to it such are like the merchant they seek the best of spiritual things to which christ applies pearls as a symbol give not that which is holy unto the dogs neither cast your pearls before the swine it is that which christ urged when he said seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness the last parable confirms all the previous parables in this interpretation the good fish and the bad are found in the net are separated and this is the end of the age the gospel net has gathered a mixed whole as we see it to-day and as all church history declares from these seven parables of the kingdom we gather that the kingdom in the present age is to be in a state of imperfection the good in admixture with evil and this to continue to the end of the world or age this is analogous to the spiritual condition of the individual in whom the flesh remains until the end and wars with the spirit it also follows the analogous course of israel as a nation it is also confirmed by facts the history of the church presents this state from the beginning the beginnings of all this are apparent in the apostolic church there is dissension over the distribution of the bounty of the church and contention between paul and barnabas and also peter we see the inroads of heresies later we find paul rebuking the gentile churches for the grossest scandals as fornication the same state of things is shown by the letter to the seven churches there is declining love in ephesus the harboring of teachers of heresy and evil practices in pergamum the suffering of an adulterous prophetess in thyatira deadness of activity in sardis and lukewarmness or great worldliness in laodicea only two of the seven escape reproof two have no words of praise sardis has only a few left true to christ and laodicea is condemned and threatened with rejection church history shows an increasing state of evil as the centuries go on until christianity was imperialized under constantine which was simply baptized heathenism and which finally developed the monstrous papal apostasy which lasted as a system of persecution for over twelve hundred years and continues yet to hold in ignorance and superstition a seventh 
of the world's population this came from the christian church it was all this christ had in mind when he spake the parable of the mustard plant and the leaven and no one who has read history whether church or political will hesitate to acknowledge that the prophecy has been so far fulfilled besides the present spiritual and imperfect phase of the kingdom christ and the apostles everywhere speak of the kingdom as future and connected with another age and of a totally different character from the state of things now existing not even the universal spread of the condition of the most favoured christian lands would satisfy the description of the coming kingdom that the kingdom has not come is admitted indeed this is one of the claims of destructive criticism the kingdom prophecies it is claimed have not been fulfilled in nearly two thousand years boastings of a coming victorious condition of the church are merely speculations having no scriptural foundation if the church either visible or invisible or any state of things which it controls or inspires is the kingdom then the kingdom predictions have proved abortive and we are left with a bible whose most solemn and greatest and most vital part is by the lapse of time shown to be fallacious but on the view that this kingdom was and is still future and supernatural we are on sure ground and all the assaults of this latest and most mischievous of all attempts to undermine the faith of the people of god come to naught indeed but adds to the force of the proof of the truth of scripture for it is itself an evidence of the fulfilment of the predictions of scripture which were made as to these latter days there is good also coming even out of the evil for this destructive criticism while attacking the foundations of faith is forcing a new examination of the messianic kingdom and insisting upon the meaning intended by the writers these two phrases of the kingdom are presented in this following scripture and being asked by the pharisees when the kingdom of god cometh he answered them and said the kingdom of god cometh not with observation neither shall they say lo here or there for lo the kingdom of god is within you margin in the midst of you and he said unto the disciples the days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the son of man and ye shall not see it and they shall say to you lo there lo here go not away nor follow after them for as the lightning when it lighteneth out of the one part under the heaven shineth unto the other part under the heaven so shall the son of man be in his day professor herman kramer thus writes of the basalia or kingdom so far as the saving designs of god have already found their realization with and in christ it is said the kingdom of god is within you compare john one twenty six in the midst of you standeth one whom ye know not the kingdom of god is come upon you but so far as this realization first becomes manifest when christ's work is completed the kingdom of god is spoken of as yet to be revealed with the tacit assumption that it can only take place after the appearance of christ in this sense it is future for christ also when therefore christ says 
my kingdom is not of this world his meaning is that the present order of things does not set forth the glory and saving purpose of god dr oberlin thus comments on this passage it is true that it was necessary for our lord to oppose the carnal expectations of the nation and to insist with double emphasis on the spiritual internal conditions of partaking in the kingdom namely repentance and faith but he by no means dissolves the kingdom into mere inwardness but it is to him as schmidt expresses it the divine order of things which is realized by him the messiah and which develops itself from within outwardly thus the kingdom of christ has different periods it is come in christ it spreads in the world by internal spiritual hidden processes but as a kingdom in the strict sense of the word in royal glory it shall only come with the parousia of christ even as we are according to christ's command to pray even now day by day thy kingdom come we have in the letters to the seven churches the light thrown upon the attitude of christ in his present state towards his people it is the same as when he used the whip of small courts in the temple it is jehovah with his new israel in chastening here are some of his messages of this kind repent and do the first works or else i will come to thee and will move thy candlestick out of its place except thou repent repent therefore or else i come to thee quickly and i will make war against them with the sword of my mouth i will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that i am he that searcheth the reins and hearts and i will give unto each of you according to your works i will come as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour i will come upon thee because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold i will spew thee out of my mouth his parting message was as many as i love i rebuke and chasten christ has not changed he is the same yesterday to-day and for ever nor has his method changed he has often since the days of the apostles punished his people terribly to the extent of sweeping away entire communities and churches we may be assured the present church unless she repents and returns to primitive christianity will not escape what israel received for her apostasy and also the apostolic churches and the whole of christendom since the roman empire along before its overthrow was professedly christian in 423 a d a law of theodosius the second states there were no more pagans in the empire it was upon this professed but worldly christianity was poured out the vials of the barbarian invasion from the north following the destruction of paganism came in the sixth century the worship of saints and angels and relics and following this second stage in the apostasy was sent the invasion of the saracens later the following further decline of the faith came the invasion of the turks the country of the prophets and apostles alike has been under this abomination which maketh desolate from that time to this christ has many ways of chastising his people and we must not think the church of to-day is exempt from his usual course of procedure 
this chastisement could come from civil sources the uprising so often spoken of as the social revolution by the christ's method of dealing with the church or it may come from without from the heathen hordes two-thirds of the world now fast aiming for war in considering the work of christ in the present age as to the world we must note the purposes the agency selected and the extent of the work we shall then be able to see the ultimate plan involved christ's purpose is seen by recalling the great view presented by john in his gospel of christ as the saviour of the world and the world-wide command given the apostles by ascending saviour christ's direction of the work of evangelization of the world is both direct and indirect the latter is seen in his allowing the breaking out of persecution in jerusalem at the death of stephen by which they were all scattered abroad except the apostles the twelve do not seem to have grasped the idea of a world-wide evangelization until some time after pentecost they reproved peter for going to the house of the gentile cornelius and on his reporting the reception of the gospel by him and his house and the outpouring of the holy ghost upon this company of gentiles they expressed their surprise saying then to the gentiles also hath god granted repentance unto life the direct work of christ for the world is seen in the mission of paul he was converted directly by christ's own voice and so commissioned and received his commission and a new revelation of the gospel his life reads like a sequel to the life of jesus christ himself is not represented as engaging personally in seeking following and beseeching sinners to be at peace with god he does this wholly through the believers and the agencies of the church it is the spirit and the bride which say come the order of the gospel of god the father by christ through the holy spirit in the believer appealing to sinners by the truth to be reconciled to god through jesus christ it is worthy of note in passing that all the calls to sinners in this age to repentance are in the singular him that cometh unto me he that believeth if any man sin if any man hear my voice this indicates the nature of the gospel work it is to be man by man an individual call rather than national the church gathers not by nations but by individuals the preparation of the world for the gospel was most remarkable greek philosophy had made this people keen to hear any new things and their own schools of philosophy were now losing their power over the minds of their followers politically and physically the world was ready for the rapid propagation of the message it was particularly under one government and in a stable and peaceful state the great roman roads and lines of commerce went everywhere the israelites place in the world's evangelization has been seen there is clearly discernible a divine and universal plan in the preparation of the world for the gospel the three great peoples of the world furnished their respective parts rome the physical greece intellectual and israel the spiritual thus was prepared the threefold way for the gospel all this helps us to see how the disciples of christ literally fulfilled his message preach the gospel to the whole creation 
paul tells us the gospel was preached in all creation under heaven pliny states that there was no family of men where the praises of jesus were not sung the whole world was evangelized this if we do not misread history has been done again and again the world has been more than once evangelized since the days of the apostles we are now in the midst of such a world-wide movement at home and abroad to which attention is often and well called the hundreds of foreign missionary societies with thousands of missionaries in every land the thousands of other organizations of an auxiliary kind the movement among young men students young people and children the publication of hundreds of millions of bibles and uncounted millions of christian books and papers the thousands of christian educational institutions all are remarkable and peculiar in our day there are still greater movements before us the gospel is to be preached to all nations and the spirit is to be poured forth upon all flesh in all this we see christ directing his work and fulfilling his promise I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. The view of the world since Christ presents a very mixed picture. It is not a story of constant victory of the gospel. The world, as has been seen, has been once, and we believe several times, evangelized. But in each case the revival was followed by a falling away. Sometimes this was an almost universal apostasy, as in the case of the Roman Church the north of africa once christianity's stronghold is today mohammedan the land preached over by the apostles are today in a state little better than heathenism and we are sending missionaries to them that part of the continent of europe traversed by paul with such zeal and love is today largely wrapped in papal superstition and worst of all two-thirds of the world is in pagan darkness and all this after nineteen hundred years of gospel work begun by apostles and followed by the best and most self-sacrificing of earth it is sometimes charged to the church that this state of affairs exists doubtless the church has not done her full duty and as a body and as individuals we must all own our failure but the blame cannot be laid wholly at the doors of the church there is often much unjust and cruel censure of churches and ministries and christians for the want of more success in converting the world or special localities to christ there have been places and times when all has been done by the church to save the surrounding mass and yet all have not been converted not even apostles with all their mighty power and miracles could effect the conversion of all paul and even jesus himself turned away many places leaving them to the course they chose end of chapter five part three recording by linda pretorius